ಭಗವತೆವಾ ಭಗವತೆ ವಾಸುದೇವಾಯಂತ್ರೀಮದ್ಭಾಗವತ Seven chapter 10, text 10. Get the verse here. Om Namo Bhagavate Tubhyam Om Namo Bhagavate Tubhyam 
ಪುರುಷಾಯ ಮಹಾತ್ಮನೆ ಹರೆಯೇ ಅದ್ಭುತ ಸಿಂಹಾಯ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ಪರಮಾತ್ಮನೆ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ಪುರುಷಾಯ ಮಹಾತ್ಮನೆ ಹರೆಯೇ ಅದ್ಭುತ ಸಿಂಹಾಯ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ಪರಮಾತ್ಮನೆ ಓಂ ನಮೋ ಭಗವತೆ ಪುರುಷಾಯ ಮಹಾತ್ಮನೆ ಹರೆಯೇ ಅದ್ಭುತ ಸಿಂಹಾಯ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ಪರಮಾತ್ಮನೆ ಪುರುಷಾಯ ಮಹಾತ್ಮನೆ personality of godhead namaha i offer my respectful obeisances namaha sorry bhagwate unto the supreme person tubhyam unto you purushaya unto the supreme lord mahatmane 
unto the supreme soul or the super soul haraye unto the lord who vanquishes all the miseries of devotees adbhut simhaya unto your wonderful lion like form as narsimha dev brahmane unto the supreme brahman paramatmane unto the supreme soul translation and purport by his divine grace ac bhaktivedant swami shri prabhupad O oh my lord full of six opulences o oh supreme person o oh super soul killer of all miseries o oh supreme person in the form of a wonderful lion and man let me offer my respectful obeisances unto you purport in the previous verse prahlad maharaj has explained that a devotee can achieve the platform of bhagwato being as good as a supreme person but this does not mean that the devotee loses his position as servant a pure servant of the lord although as opulent as the lord is still still meant to offer respectful obeisances unto the lord in service prahlad maharaj was engaged in pacifying the lord and therefore he did not consider himself equal to the lord he defined his position as servant and offered respectful obeisances unto the lord ज्ञानाजनिशलाकायाचुरूर्मिलुतमेनाश्रीगुरवेनमस्ते निर्विशेषून्यवादी पाश्चातेशतारिणे वाचाकलतरूभ्य कृपासीधुभ्य पतीता पावनेभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्यो नमो नमः जय श्री कृष्ण चैतन्य प्रभु निनंद श्रीअद्वैतगदाधार श्रीवासादिगौरभक्तवृंद हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे 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 कृष्णा सैटरडे मॉर्निंग वी आर कमिंग टुडे मॉर्निंग वी आर कमिंग टू द कंक्लूजन ऑफ द second set of prayers of prahlad maharaj and here he is concluding with more or less a obeisance and while offering obeisances he is actually seeing describing how he sees the lord before him as the ultimate absolute reality 
ओम नमो भगवते तुभ्यम यू आर भगवान एंड टू यू आई ऑफर माई ओबेसेंसेस बट देन ऑल्सो इज सेंग पुरुषाय महात्मने सो एक्चुअली इन दिस वर्स इफ यू गो इन टू दिक्स सिस्टम्स ऑफ फिलोसॉफी दैट देर आर इन द इंडियन ट्रेडिशन पुरुष पुरुष इज एक्चुअली द अल्टिमेट रियालिटी विद इन सांख्या it's one of the six systems of philosophy where purusha and prakriti are considered two main components of reality so basically what prahlad is doing over here is that whatever is the ultimate conception of reality in various prevailing schools of thought he is asserting that you are that ultimate reality so purushaya mahatmane now mahatma is at one level a uh, generic reference to any great person mm. but mahatma that atma is anu the atma is tiny mm. so the atma can actually never be mahatma the atma is always 110000 tip of a hair the only mahatma is the supreme lord so by now of course the jivatma is sometimes considered to be mahatma when the jivatma becomes devoted to the mahatma so when krishna manifests through a jiva then that jiva can also be called a mahatma but the jiva is always constitutionally an anuatma hmm. but when he uses the word mahatma basically this is apart from the simply being a glorification it's also a assertion of personalism because within the impersonalist idea there's only brahman both the anuatma and the mahatma the jiva and the bhagwan both are illusion so mahatmane so is asserting again that you are the supreme reality haraye adbhut simhaya so is acknowledging the special form in which that lord has appeared and the lord appears to remove distresses so he has appeared to remove the distress of prahlad in the form of the torments that he suffered at the hands of hiranyakashipu and then he says uh, brahmane paramatmane so brahman sometimes within our tradition we consider brahman to be the impersonal effulgence of the lord and while that is true but that's that particular nomenclature is only within the gaudiya tradition the word brahman is a generic reference to the ultimate reality however it might be conceived for example right in the start of the vedanta sutra it begins with athato brahma jigyasa now where the brahma there the when the word brahma is used it is not to refer to now inquire about impersonal brahman it is saying just inquire about the ultimate reality and that can be seen immediately from the next verse that is janma that is janmadi asyataha so that ultimate reality the source of everything so that is a reference to that brahman is not just impersonal it is ultimate reality and then paramatmane so paramatmane refers to that with the yogis they consider the paramatma to be the ultimate reality and that is the object of meditation for them so in this way whatever be the various paths a person might be following the ultimate reality however it is conceived you are that ultimate reality he is asserting his confidence there is no reality beyond you there is no reality bigger than you 
there is no reality other than you so nothing bigger than you nothing beyond you nothing other than you that is the idea of a complete conviction about enlightenment mattaha parataram nanyad kinchit asti dhananjaya there is nothing beyond krishna nothing bigger than krishna nothing other than krishna so see within the evolution of god or evolution of the conception of god this is a this is a hierarchy which is used by advaitins but it is not only their conception they they say you start with there's no god then you move towards there are many gods hmm there are gods but there are many gods then you move towards there is one god hmm and then finally you realize that there is only god there is nothing existing beyond god but now the way they interpret this is to say is that the only god means there's only brahman existing everywhere there's nothing existing and in that way they try to position that whatever be your idea of religion it all culminates in our idea of religion hmm? that ultimately there's only god there's nothing beyond god now this is true but aham evasam evagre in the bhagavatam in the chatur shloka it says i alone exist now jiva goswami in his explanation of this verse he states that when krishna uses the word aham he is using it sometimes to refer to himself as a person in contradic- contradistinction to everything else like krishna says that i i am here and the whole world is here but sometimes when krishna uses the word i he is referring to all of existence so for example when krishna using the word aham sarvasya prabhu i am the source of everything he is saying now he is referring to himself as a person but if that's all there is see god is personal but god is not a person like us he is what you can say transpersonal he is a transcendental person that means krishna is here and krishna is saying i am the source of everything what that means is that krishna does not exist separate from everything rather everything is included within krishna natadasti vinayatsyan maya bhutam characharam that nothing can exist without me so within our philosophy also the idea is that god is everything god is the only there is only god that exists but god is not a homogenized reality within god there are there is bhagwan there is jiva there is prakriti that is what shri prabhupada says in the introduction of nectar of devotion which is krishna includes his expansions his energies so when we say krishna is god at one level it's a simple statement at another level it's a philosophically sophisticated statement what so that is what the uh, is being indicated over here now if this sounds too confusing we are not going to discuss this today 
we can discuss it some other time but i i would like to focus on this one word over here haraye haraye adbhut simhaya so haraye it comes from the word hari and haran haraye means to steal away and what does the lord do he steals away the distress of a devotee now specifically if we look in the context of this word this series of prayers now we talk about distress in various terms we talk about distress in terms of uh, the four miseries of material existence janma mrityu jara vyadhi we can talk about distress in terms of the trivittapa adhyatmika adi bhautika adi daivik at the same time the root cause of distress is not this the if there's a disease the fourfold misery the four kinds of miseries the three four, three categories of miseries all these are the symptoms of the disease the misery is primarily because of kama kr avidya kama karma bhi kunti maharani says that it is because of avidya which leads to kama kama means its material desire but the way prabhupada uses the word material desire is its desire independent of krishna so the desire to enjoy the pleasures of the world independent of krishna so today we will try to discuss how the the lord does haraye haraye is how the lord helps us become free from distress okay so today i am experiencing some tech distress <laughs> so hmm. is this chargeable somewhere okay leave it we'll finish it so i'll talk about three broad things when we have worldly desires how do we deal with those desires hmm. we can say bhakti purifies us of the desires but then we also say we have to purify ourselves so when these desires are there exactly how purification happens is to some extent a mystery it means that one day a desire is troubling us a lot and suddenly the next day the desire disappears and sometimes the desire disappears to come back again after a few days sometimes the desire just disappears say we might have been eating meat before and we started practicing bhakti and the desire for meat just disappeared mm-hmm. so when we talk about purification it can at one level refer to we resolving i will not indulge in this and that is definitely required from our side but from krishna's side at one time it will happen that that the desire itself will disappear the proposition from inside will stop coming See, when we say desires come upon us desires arise from two sources one is external that is we see some object and other is internal internal is some samskar is triggered and we feel the urge from within i want to eat this i want to touch this i want to enjoy this so now the external cannot be stopped we cannot change the world so that it will be free from all temptation but what krishna says in 217 in the bhagavad gita 
that external desires may come in but your consciousness can our consciousness can become like a ocean then the river is coming in the ocean don't disturb so now how does our consciousness become like an ocean at one level <clears throat> there's nothing we can do to expand our consciousness we can strive but that expansion happens by krishna's mercy and at a particular time we'll find the desires will just disappear now till that happens we all can pray that it happens as quickly as possible but till that happens so external will remain even if a person external in the sense of the tempting objects will remain but the internal can disappear by krishna's mercy but today what we are going to discuss primarily is till that happens what are we going to do till that happens how are we going to function so we'll talk about when we are practicing bhakti we can deal with it in three different ways broadly we we work on our material desires work on our desires means we try to purify them we protect ourselves from the triggers we pray to krishna we do some focused chanting we do some focused sadhana the second is we work with our material desires okay i have this desire i can't give it up it is a part of me right now i'll work with it i'll explain these three categories elaborately but this will be the these three categories will be the sum of our class today and then we work for our desires but within limited boundaries within certain boundaries so the point is that when we hear about pure devotees and how they are free completely from all worldly desires that can sometimes be inspiring and that can sometimes be discouraging because it's inspiring that somebody can be free from all desire other than the desire to serve krishna but at the same time it may be discouraging because we may have so many other desires and we can't artificially reject the desires by artificial reject means the desire is present within us we can say no to it but sometimes saying no it just gives us a sense of determination and we feel yes this is finished but sometimes saying no it just creates a sense of suffocation and how long can i keep saying no so that can become very difficult to manage so we look that there's not just one strategy within the tradition for dealing with worldly desires there are multiple strategies so the most common that we talk about is work on our desires work on means that we try to deal with that particular if somebody has a lot of greed then lot of a lot of hung, craving for possessions for wealth then we may read particular sections of the bhagavatam maybe we can read about the avanti brahmana we can read about the uh, where person had a lot of wealth and suddenly lost everything mm-hmm. where wealth lay we can read about bali maharaj so the acharyas have described that for different anarthas different pastimes can be helpful now it's not necessary that pastime alone will be helpful we have to find out what works for us but we can work specifically on those desires we, when we work on those desires what does this mean 
So when we work on a particular desire, basically for us, we create boundaries for ourselves. That you know, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm not going to do. Mm? We, we try to avoid the triggers which will, which will inflame us. So generally the desires are there within us and from there we may pop up. We can't stop how they will pop up from within. But at least we can stop giving external triggers for them as much as possible. And then secondly, when we read scripture, there is warnings. So when a desire comes up, one of the things, the final stages before the desire catches us is buddhinashat pranashyati. It destroys our perception of the consequence of indulgence in that desire. So when we read pastimes which remind us about how worldly desires can be entangling, then that can help us. And then of course, the most fundamental principle in bhakti is, is we filling our consciousness with Krishna. We can't empty our consciousness, we fill our consciousness. So that way, what happens is, if we are, Prabhupada one time said that, well, I, have, I have no lust, he said, I have no time for lust. What he meant is that, so many things to do, so many services to do, I have no time for selfish desires. So, the desire may pop up inside us also. But if we are busy, then the desire doesn't get any space to grow. Now, this way we work on our desires. And sometimes when we work on our desires in this way, we can just over a period of time, they will decline and disappear. We can get rid of them. Mm. However, this may not work always for all desires. And if it doesn't work, that is not a deficiency of bhakti and that is not even a deficiency of the bhakta. That is just the kind of conditioning that a person has. We don't have to feel guilty and we don't have to lose faith. This is what happens. So sometimes a treatment is given and the treatment doesn't work. Uh, the patient may think, oh, this doctor is itself terrible. Doctor doesn't, doctor doesn't work. Or, I am incurable. No, it may be neither. Maybe there are some complications over there. Maybe the disease is much more deep-rooted. So, there are always multiple prongs of treatment available. Just because we are not able to deal with a desire, that means the desire is not getting purified. That doesn't mean that we have to go to either of these extremes. Hmm? One is, lose faith in Bhakti and Krishna. And the other is, condemn ourselves. By condemn ourselves means that, see, even the acharyas sometimes seem to be condemning themselves. Amara jivan sada paperat. But that condemnation is actually drawing them closer to Krishna. For us, when we condemn ourselves, we just say, I'm hopeless, I'm useless, and we just quit. So, this condemning ourselves, we, if it's leading us to quitting, then that is unhealthy. We don't want to do that. So, then what is the alternative? If, for example, within the tradition itself, there is, there is, there is the, the Nishtika Brahmacharis, there are Upakurvan Brahmacharis. So the idea is, it's not that the Upakurvan Brahmacharis are supposed to live lifelong with guilt. That, oh, I could not control and purify my desires. I could not get rid of them. Nothing like that. Throughout history, most people, even in Vedic times, have been Grahasthas. Even the sages, most of the sages we see are grahasthas. So, there is no need to think that 
if somebody is not able to just by hearing purify themselves of desires that makes them a lesser devotee that just means there's a different path for them to grow and that which was exceptional even in previous ages we cannot make that the standard in this age that means what is the standard that you just hear and renounce all desires that was exceptional even in satyuga that was like, so if it's exceptional satyuga then it is much going to be much more exceptional in this age so we need to be kind to ourselves worldly desires take some time and effort to overcome and the first method is not the only method sometimes in a war some 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 warriors are like single weapon warriors now some some armies are just single strategy armies you know this is the only weapon i fight with somebody fights only with bows and arrows if the opposite cavalry has a armor by which bows and arrows are not being pierced then what does it do you just you can't do anything you're helpless we have only one strategy see the army just rush into the army and destroy them well what if they are attacking from different sources so the, we need to have multiple strategies so it's like there's a plan a and there's a plan b if this doesn't work so within the scriptural tradition itself there are multiple plans that are given so first is we work on our worldly desires and we try to purify ourselves of them but if that doesn't happen then we work with our desires with means yes this is a part of who i am and at such times when we have material desires see everything in this world can be seen from two distinct perspectives one is a moral perspective the other is a functional or a mechanical perspective what do i mean that moral perspective means oh you have the i have this desire therefore i am a i am a weak devotee i am a fallen person i am i am useless now have any of you heard of this statement hmm <laughs> so now what happens is when we hear the, when we make the statement we make this part fallen so big that we forget the soul part and i am fallen well bhakti means sarvopadi vinirmuktam to become free from all designations and fallen is also a temporary designation just like to think i am a man i am a woman i am indian i am american i am young i am old these are designations these are temporary so fallen is also a temporary designation so just as identifying too much with our physical beauty or lack of beauty with our and any just just as over identifying with any identity other than the fact that we are souls or parts of krishna is a problem similarly over identifying with our fallen state is also a problem mm. so if we identify more with the fallen part than the soul part then we may we are thinking that we are i am having humility but we are not having humility we are having self pity 
and self pity is a form of maya because it is completely self centered oh i am so fallen i am so fallen i am so fallen i am so fallen okay okay you are fallen but what next okay how can you serve krishna i am so fallen okay you are fallen but how can we serve krishna it is not that just because i am fallen i stop being a servant of krishna krishna is so inclusive that even in my fallen state i can serve him and that needs to be accepted so we don't over identify with our fallen state okay i have a particular desire i can't give it up fine work with that desire so now we want to look for examples of say working on our desires there are examples say of yayati he indulge and then he just renounce the world we have now with respect to yayati it is described that there's a interest very interesting phrase that is used over there it is said that when yayati got the realization he renounced the world like a bird who has developed wings and flies away so now it is not that the bird does something special wings come out wings come out wings come out wings come out no the bird is trying 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 maybe flapping its wing trying and one day the wings are there and the bird flies away so the bird's trying is important but the bird's trying is not going to accelerate the growth of wings when the wings come then the flight becomes natural so for all of us we want the wings to come so that we can fly in the sky of service without being pulled down by the gravity of our worldly desires and we can keep serving more and more and more but that will happen in its own way that will happen by krishna's mercy at a particular time what is that time we can't predict that and one aspect of being surrendered is to accept the condition we are in and to serve krishna in that condition so that's what our krishna tells arjuna that this war is inevitable you want to serve me the way you have to serve is accept that this war is going to happen and see how you can serve me within this war situation so like that okay for us maybe our lived realities we have to fight we have to live with our desires so when we work with means we have a desire we make arrangement for fulfilling that desire but our focus is not on fulfilling that desire our focus is on serving krishna so the example for this is kardamuni now it is said kardamuni performed such austerities that the lord himself appeared in front of him but after the lord appeared in, in, in front of him kardamuni he desired to have a life partner i mean say if he has already darshan of the lord he can perform such austerities that he can have darshan of the lord why does he need a life partner but that's not seen necessarily as a contamination or even it's seen as a contamination is not not seen as a wrong thing at all it is yeah that's what he need that's what the lord provided him so we work with our desires okay this is a desire i have now he did not perform austerity to pray to the lord for a partner that was not the point over there so the, the, in that sense kardamuni is different from say pururava hmm pururava the whole performance of, whole purpose of performing yagya and doing austerity was so that he could get urvashi kardamuni is not at all like that 
Kardamuni didn't have any specific desire for a specific partner. The Lord arranged for him. He got Devahuti. But the point is somebody has certain desires. You can work with those desires. So okay, this is the this is the level of this is this is what I need. Now we say, okay, all our desires are wants, they are not needs. Okay, but in the conditioned stage, they feel like needs for us. And without them, it becomes very difficult to function. So, so when I said, see this as mechanical, what it means is, okay, it's just a part of our functioning. Suppose somebody has back pain. Then they can't lift big boxes. That's a limitation, but they don't have to go into a, a moral inferiority complex because of that. Oh, I can't do this service. Okay, you can't do this service. There are so many other services you can do. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and start doing some service. So, for example, somebody may require a certain level of comfort. Okay, you know, I want a house like this. I want a car like this. I want this much space for my service. Now, is this, is this a material desire? Well, it may be, it may not be. But the point is, if that's what gives us peace of mind. Okay, I want this much level of comfort. If I have this much level of comfort, I can serve Krishna nicely. Okay, then have that level of comfort and serve Krishna. So that's why when Krishna uses the word yukta ahara viharasya, Krishna does not attach any quantity to what is yukta. Not too much food, not too little food. Not too much sleep, not too little sleep. Now what is too much food and what is too little food? Well, that will depend on person to person. In the Bhakti tradition, we have Raghunadas Goswami and we have Bhima. <laughs> so, both are considered devotees. The, for both of them, what is Yukta Ahar is very different. Isn't it? <laughs> so, the point is not how much you eat. The point is what do you do after eating? Isn't it? How do we serve Krishna after eating? So, some devotees might live with very simple food. Some devotees may, might, might want some good food to eat. That doesn't matter. We work with those desires. See, sometimes we, give, sometimes we take examples beyond their context. So, for example, we say if you scratch an itch, then it will worsen. If we have a rash, we scratch an itch, we scratch it, it will worsen, it will worsen. It will worsen to the point that it will become unbearable. Well, that is true when there is already a rash in the skin. Now, if say, I'm giving a class and I get some, the Prabhu is scratching his head. Now, I get a to scratch my nose. Maybe it's not the most pleasant thing to do in a public place. But it's not that if I scratch my nose once, for the rest of the time I'm going to scratch my nose for the rest of my life. No, that's a urge which comes, it goes. If there is a disease already there, if there's a rash already there, that's when that's going to create a problem. Otherwise, scratching itself is not the problem. It's like, say, suppose somebody, one day they have a desire to eat a halwa. Hmm? Now, okay, you eat the halwa, is it that for eat halwa once after that? 24 hours for the rest of your life, constantly gulping down halwa. No, it's not going to happen. Isn't it? Now, so there are many desires. They may be distractions from bhakti. 
But sometimes trying to fight against that desire is a greater distraction than within boundaries indulging in that desire. So, say for example, somebody wants to chant and they are feeling very hot. Say, okay, I want to sit under a fan and chant. No, chanting is tapasya, I should do tapasya. And then you sit and you are feeling very hot and feeling uncomfortable and you are trying to chant. Now, we may be chanting but we are thinking about how uncomfortable we are feeling. And we are not Krishna conscious, we are just physical discomfort, physical pain conscious. Well, forget it, okay, turn on a fan and sit down and focus on Krishna. Isn't it? Is it that because we sit under a fan, for the rest of our life we are going to become a fanatic? <laughs> Somebody who can't live without a fan. Well, not necessarily. So, not every material desire is lethal for bhakti. Hmm? And there are many desires which we can just say that these are people's preferences. Okay, this is the way they function. And create the space within bhakti for that and continue our bhakti. So we work with our desires. Work with our desires means yeah, this desire needs a particular space and I engage in, engage in this desire and then start practicing bhakti. So, I know one devotee who who was not into physical training before. And now he's well, still very fit. But he said that I don't want to spend any time on physical training. And he said that you know, when I sit down to hear Bhagavatam, or study, not hear, read Bhagavatam, he, used to, he said I used to read one hour every day, but throughout I just feel sleepy. So then, he said one day I just tried, 10 minutes before studying Bhagavatam, I did a like vigorous physical workout, just jogging or doing some exercise. And after that, for the next 50 minutes, I found I was so fresh. So now he has been practicing bhakti for 15-20 years. Now he knows the, what is anukul for his bhakti. Now there's nothing, first of all, there's nothing wrong in doing physical exercise. If that's what is required for health. But apart from health, if that increases mental alertness and that enables us to remember Krishna better, then okay, 10 minutes of doing some physical workout, you are doing 50 minutes, maybe those 10 minutes you, we could have read Bhagavatam. But we might not be reading Bhagavatam, we might be sleeping while reading Bhagavatam. So, rather than focusing only on numbers, we focus on quality. So sometimes, as I said, some worldly desires, I don't even like the word desires in the sense of worldly. They are desires, but they are not, they are not toxic, they are not lethal. Okay, there is some, you work with that desire. Don't make, a, don't make that desire bigger than it needs to be. But don't try to make it smaller than it can be. It is there, give it some space and move on with life. See, because what happens is sometimes, when, not, when nothing is open for negotiation, then everything becomes open for rebellion. See, if somebody feels that some, there is some authority figure, and then the authority, 90% of, the, 90% of their expectations are reasonable. But maybe 10% are, are somewhat too much for a subordinate. Now if the authority is open for 10% negotiation, then the subordinate is actually grateful for the other 90% and works with that. 
But if the 10% is also not open for negotiation, then resentment piles up. And then when there is rebellion, that rebellion is not just against the 10%, that rebellion goes against the entire 100%. So much of what was good was also gets, also gets rejected. So sometimes we have to learn to negotiate with ourselves. That sometimes we think that bhakti or self-mastery means making our, our mind and senses our slaves. But Krishna never uses that word. Krishna says, the mind has to become your friend. So friend is very different from a slave. Now of course, we don't want to be a slave of our mind and senses. That is true. So we don't want to be a slave of our mind and senses, but we are also not meant to make our mind and senses our slave. We are meant to make our mind and senses our friend. Now, mind specifically, but senses also, because we have to work with those mind and senses. There are tools for working. So what does this mean? With a friend, now if a friend is wanting us to do something which is very harmful for us, we won't do that. But if the, if the, a friend is not the same as a slave at all. So why does Krishna use the word make your mind your friend, not your slave? That means there has to be some level of negotiation, some level of discussion. So some desires we work with them. And that doesn't affect our bhakti much. We work with it, we keep continuing our bhakti, okay, that particular desire comes, deal with it and move on. Don't make it bigger than it needs to be. And that brings us to the last part. That is, sometimes we work for our desires. Some desires may be so strong that we may have no peace of mind till that particular desire is fulfilled. So for example, Dhruva was told Narad Muni, oh, why, do you, why do you bother about a kingdom? Just go back home. Narad Muni told him two things. He says, you are just a small child and children don't take childhood spats so seriously. Sometimes two children, two kids, they are friends and then they, they maybe have some small, small quarrel and in India they say, Katti, I will not talk with you again. And then maybe after three, four days, they're just chatting as if, uh, what happened? He says, oh, we are BFF, the best friend forever, <laughs> isn't it? So, kids don't take quarrels very seriously. So, you're just a kid, go back home, don't take all this so seriously. And Naradhani says, if you think you are not a kid, if you think you are mature, then those who are really evolved, they, they don't take honor and dishonor very seriously. These things keep coming and going. So, don't take it seriously. Now, what does Dhruva say? He says, your words are true, but they find no place in my heart. They find no place in my heart. Please give me an instruction that works for me. So his desire was so strong at that time, he just couldn't think of anything else. So what did he do? He worked for his material desires. But he worked within the ambit of bhakti. That means, he practiced bhakti intensely. Now, was his desire, was his practice of bhakti materially motivated? Yes, it was. But it was the practice of bhakti. And that's why the Bhagavatam has akamaha sarva kamava moksha kama udharati. So the focus is, the Bhagavatam says, not what is the level of your material desires. The focus is, what is the level of your bhakti?
तीव्रेण भक्ति योगेन यजेत पुरुषम पर सो समाइम्स वी फोकस टू मच ऑन डिक्रीजिंग द लेवल ऑफ आर वर्ल्डली डिजायर्स बट इंस्टेड ऑफ दैट वी एनकरेज आर सेल्स और अदर्स टू जस्ट इंक्रीज द लेवल ऑफ आर भक्ति नाउ वी मे से द टू आर म्यूचुअली एक्सक्लूसिव दैट इफ वी आर इंक्रीजिंग द लेवल ऑफ आर द लेवल ऑफ मटेरियल डिजायर्स इज हाई देन द लेवल ऑफ आर भक्ति कांड बी हाई वेल इट्स नॉट ऑलवेज लाइक दैट इन सम केसेज इट मे बी बट इज इट ऑलवेज हैव टू बी लाइक दैट सम पीपल कैन फॉलो द रूल्स एंड रेगुलेशन ऑफ भक्ति वेरी डेलीजेंटली बिकॉज दे हैव अ पर्टिकुलर डिजायर टू फुलफिल एंड दैट डिजायर इज सो स्ट्रॉन्ग ओके दिस इज द मीन्स लेट मी डू दिस नाउ वी कुड से ध्रुवर्स डिजायर एटलीस्ट वॉज नॉट वेरी डिस्ट्रक्टिव ओके he he didn't he didn't want that oh i'll have a kingdom bigger than my kingdom and then with the army of that kingdom i'll go and kill my father and kill my stepmother and i'll show them no it is not a destructive desire it is a competitive desire competition can be destructive but it doesn't always have to be destructive in the bhagavatam there is also an example of a destructive desire that is diti so what happens with diti is that diti she has that she hears that actually indra is going to conspire with vishnu and is going to kill her sons so she starts perform she goes to her husband and says who is her husband kashyap muni he says uh, you know i want a benediction by which i can kill indra he says what are you asking indra is my son he says no no i please you you have to give me this benediction how oh, in one sense diti's desire is actually worse than even kaikai's desire you know kaikai at least didn't want say dashrath you kill ram or you give me a benediction i i can kill ram but he just wanted lord ram to be exiled she diti wanted ragindra uh, uh, to be killed now kashyap muni had faith in the power of purificatory power of bhakti so he gave he gave her the pumsavan vrat to follow and in the pumsavan vrat as she was doing this the way things worked out was indra got new got wind of it so he came and started serving her and indra was looking for an opportunity to pursue his own agenda but through it all her heart became softened just as for dhruva by the time he got the kingdom and he came back by the time he saw the lord and he came back you know his heart had become free from all animosity toward his stepmother so he just it's not worth fighting over so bhakti has the capacity to purify so basically we have the example of competitive desire in dhruva but even destructive desire that was in diti but even that was purified through bhakti but the key point over here is that they kept practicing bhakti we can say it was even materially motivated devotion and even the material was not satoguna material it was rajoguna or tamoguna material but still it was devotion it was being practiced so sometimes when we are conditioned you know if we say decrease material desires that may or may not be possible for someone but if we say increase the intensity of bhakti 
that is often more possible for people. So, work, somebody wants to work for their desires, but they are working for their desires, not just by say working 16 hours, 18 hours a day, they are working for their desires by, by practicing bhakti intensely. So, the bhakti offers us multiple strategies for dealing with worldly desires. And in fact, when Krishna talks about 12.8 to 12, the hierarchy that is there, again that hierarchy is also, Krishna first says, be absorbed in me. If you can't be absorbed in me, try to fix your mind on me. Now why might sometimes someone not be absorbed, not be absorbed in Krishna? It is because they have so many other desires. And that's why they have to strive to focus the mind on Krishna. The mind naturally focuses on other things. Krishna says, that's okay, you try to focus the mind on me. If the mind is filled with so much Rajoguna that you can't even focus on me, then he says, work for me. Hmm? That, okay, you can't really do sadhana, but you can do some seva. So again, while Krishna does not use specifically the word, mater word material desires over here, but the idea is, bhakti is not just monolithic. Bhakti is not just one or zero. It's not like digital logic. You can't do this, get out. It's not like that. There are multiple levels at which bhakti can be practiced. And when we do this, we will find that there are so many people who might otherwise feel that bhakti is impossible to practice. They may start practicing bhakti and they can do, they may not become devotees in our standard term of devotees. Hmm? But they will do service. They will do service in their own way. You know, one of my friends is writing a book on Srila Prabhupada's life before he started ISKCON. It's very difficult to do research now because most of the people have passed away at that time. But he's still trying to do some research and get some reports. So one, he says one of my biggest realizations is that if the Gaudiya Math had been like ISKCON at that time, Almost all the devotees would have considered Prabhupada to be a non-serious devotee. Because how often does he come to the temple? You know, how often does he come to the morning program? So, we all have certain definitions and by that Prabhupada would have been considered not a serious devotee. So, Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur had that vision. He will do everything in his own time. So, we don't have to label devotees just because they are not able to do certain things. Let's be more accepting and accommodating. I'll consider, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll conclude one incident which actually made me contemplate all this and which is one of the main things that made me contemplate all this. So I was in Silicon Valley and I met one person. He is among the, the top 10 software developers in America, in America right now. Very big person, very wealthy, very influential, very popular. And he is the biggest patron of an of a Advaitic organization over there. And I visited the website, he, his, his name is also probably not a spiritual speaker as such, but he's a patron and supporter. So then he came to meet me, he said, I want to meet you, I was a little surprised. He said, my spiritual journey began with your talk. So he said that he was studying in IIT Kharagpur and there we have our youth outreach going on. And he came for my program. He heard the talk, he found it very logical and he said, I started coming to the youth center there and he said, I loved the philosophy. I like the philosophy, everything seemed to make sense. But the practical demands were impossible for me. 
and that's why I just gave it up. I felt very guilty with myself. Then I decided I have some spiritual explanation, explore, instinct. I want to explore it. So which other spiritual path is good but doesn't make so many demands? And then he found this Advaitic path. So then I asked him, what was the demand that you found very difficult? He said, I heard in the class that you should not read any books other than Prabhupada books. He said, since the age of seven, there is not a single week in my life when I have not read two books every week. I read hundred books at least every year. And these are not just novels and things like this. I read self-help books, I read biographies, I have wide interests. Now this is, he said, I was told that reading other books is material desires. You have to give up material desires. Now, if we want to read Prabhupada's books, we want to read Shastra. But should a person's desire to read other books become their disqualification for bhakti? Somehow that was portrayed as non-negotiable. If you are a serious devotee, you should not read any other books. Well, different people are different. Some people who are more Brahminical, their life is in reading books. For some people, they, it takes a lot from their life to read books. <laughs> Isn't it? So, most people are non-Brahminical, no offense to them. So, for them, they have limited stamina for reading books and for them, Okay, if you have limited stamina for reading books, instead of reading novels and this and read Prabhupada's book, Shastra. But for somebody whose life is reading books, that's what is the driving, most absorbing thing for them, to tell them, don't read any books other than Prabhupada's books. That is intellectual torture for them. And this person didn't have to consider bhakti is impractical for this reason. But somehow, wanting to read books, and most of the books I say, sattvic books. They may not be spiritual, but sattvic books. Why should that desire be made into a non-negotiable stumbling block for someone? There's no need for that. So, sometimes we use material desires and put sattvaguna, rajaguna, tamaguna, everything into one category. Material desires give it all up. And people think, we have to give, I have to give bhakti up only. No. If our moment is to spread, if our moment is to have an impact in the world, we can't expect everyone to become pure devotees. Yes, Prabhupada said that one moon is better than thousand stars, which is true, of course. But sometimes, in trying to get that one moon, we are extinguishing a thousand stars. No, let the stars also be there, let the moon also be there. Isn't it? So if somebody can aspire for pure devotion and just give up all other things as distractions, wonderful. But if somebody can't, if they have some spark of devotion, give us give place for that. Prabhupada himself did that. Prabhupada had many of his Western disciples who just gave up everything and dedicated their lives to Krishna. But then when Prabhupada came back to India, he saw Indians were not really ready to do that. So Prabhupada created the life membership program, where they were basically contributing something to Krishna's service. They were not ready to commit their life to Krishna's service. But they were contributing. They were giving financial contribution, they were giving some contacts and other support. That is also valuable. And Prabhupada gave a respectable place for them. So, did they have material desires? Well, they didn't have the desires to break the four agreement principles. That is because the culture was relatively pure. But still, they needed their comforts, they needed their wealth, they needed their social position. 
And Prabhupada did not say, you give it all up. So, Prabhupada accommodated them. So actually, Prabhupada was visionary. And we also need to accommodate people at different levels. And some people may stay at one level for their entire life. And that's okay. Somebody may just do some surveys. They may never become a real serious sadhakas. But they're doing service. That's wonderful. Let them do that service. Somebody may not want to give up one particular desire, but still they can be practicing bhakti. We have in the Chaitanya Charitamrita the example of uh, Pundrik Vidyanidhi. He's a devotee living in opulence. But his opulence did not stop his devotion. And he was accommodated. Not just accommodated, appreciated that way. So bhakti is too complex to be fit into a one-size-fit-all formula. This is, if you do this, you tick this, 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 this boxes, only then you are a devotee. If any box is unticked, then you are not a devotee. No, let devotees grow at their pace. Those who want to grow rapidly, wonderful. Those who don't want, those who not feel that that's too much for them, let's accommodate them also. Everybody can keep moving toward Krishna and can keep helping others to move toward Krishna. So I'll summarize what I discussed today. I made five different points. I started by talking about first how this particular verse is talking about the absolute truth in various aspects. The absolute truth as con- conceived in the Sankhya, in Yoga, sorry, sorry, in, sorry, in, in Sankhya, in Advaita. All these are included in this particular verse and I focus on the Haraye part. How the process of Bhakti can help us become free from material desires. I talk about three things. We work on our desires. That, that three things over there. We set boundaries uh, for ourselves to function. We read scriptures which give us warnings about the material desires. And then we fill our consciousness with Krishna. But then if that doesn't seem to be working for us, then we work with our desires. So with means, yeah, that desire is there. That's a part of whom I am. Instead of seeing it as a moral deficiency, we see it simply as a mechanical functionality. This is what my mind, body, machine needs right now. Let's have it and move forward. So the scratching and each example, it is true within a particular context. It's not that every scratch is going to make us a compulsive scratcher. So it's not that every desire when indulged is going to become like an insatiable fire. So some desires, we just like we discussed the example of Kardam Muni, indulge in that and move on with their life. And the last is, we work for our desires. Some people might just need a particular level of achievement in the material world before they can focus on bhakti. So if that is the case, then the example is of Dhruva over here. Dhruva at least had a competitive desire, Diti had a destructive desire. But both were accommodated within bhakti. And the last point we discussed was the, that when we are practicing bhakti, rather than making it as one zero, rather than making it everything as non-negotiable, we see that each individual has to make that negotiation. The point is that the mind is not to be made a slave. The mind is to be made a friend. And that means each individual has to take responsibility for deciding how best I can work with my mind. And so if somebody wants to read books, somebody wants to do some workout, somebody wants to do certain things, let's give them space. Somebody wanted material comfort, Prabhupada created life membership program. They can have their material comfort. They, Krishna may not be their life. 
their life may not be dedicated to krishna but krishna can be a part of their life a major part of their life so and if we accommodate that way then both devotees can many many devotees can be a part of the movement and much much more impact can be done on the world thank you very much hare krishna then one or two questions before we stop yes please bro you were mentioning uh, you mentioned towards the end about accommodating many various levels of devotees <clears throat> so from our side we see uh, when we are meeting and or trying to cultivate people you come to a stage where you have to not give enough time or attention to certain category of people because there are others who need your yeah, attention correct so but if you don't do that then they ac- you actually lose them for good in many cases so how to deal with that because uh, it's a challenge yeah my understanding is that ye tamam prapadinte depending on how much a person is contributing we can reciprocate that is fair enough so sometimes we give people time that means we give them the time to grow at their pace it doesn't mean we have to give them our time hmm? we can argue our time to those people who are invest who are contributing substantially or reciprocating significantly others whenever they meet we can spend some time with them we don't have to go out of our way if there are some people you know if you call them every week for a program they feel it's too much hmm? but maybe there's some we have a we have a, some database and that their birthday is there their family's birthday is there and we offer them some wishes send them some prasad they are happy and that's the extent they want krishna in their life and they give some contribution they do some seva for krishna now if that is the level at which they are comfortable then that's fair enough so sometimes our giving more time to people is seen by them as an intrusion in their life so if they don't need then we don't have to give them more of the fault now if some people they have a lot of expectation of time and their reciprocation is very less then now as devotees we are we are preachers we are educators we are not therapists <laughs> isn't it so if people have mental issues we cannot become the dumping ground for their mental issues now dumping ground is a impolite word mm-hmm. but uh, we cannot do that we can tell them that you know you you have these issues i am not a specialist in this field see everybody should feel cared for and valued and in that sense at a human level we can be there for people but if people have complex mental health issues now we we, we can't be expected to take care of that chanting and bhakti deals with the mind ultimately but if somebody is mind has a lot of issues then some specialist intervention might be required and when we try to like when uh, I mean, now we use the word sometimes counselor now as a counselor we are spiritual counselors we are not professional counselors so if somebody is very needy hmm, uh, then needy or clingy then we have to create some boundaries over there you know these are what needs that i can satisfy but there are you may need somebody else to satisfy other needs just like if somebody has physical health problems we don't say that you know i am ayurvedic doctor i can give you medicines so similarly why should we think that all mental health problems of people we can solve if somebody has a lot of complex relationship issues at a basic level we can try to solve relationship issues for them we can try to give them some principles 
but we can't become a mediator for all their relationship issues for the rest of their lifetime isn't it unless of course we are invested in that particular devotee for a particular reason so we have to reframe their expectations from us and once that becomes clear then they will also accept okay then they then we will find out how much they want to be committed in bhakti okay thank you thank you yes please i will come to you Hare Krishna Prabhuji, thank you for the wonderful class. Prabhu, you mentioned how we should work uh, work on our desire, on our material desires. And you also mentioned when we pray for to Lord Krishna to fulfill our spiritual desires, He immediately fulfills it. But Prabhu, we sometimes see we have spiritual desires and we pray for them, but Lord Krishna doesn't fulfill it immediately. So does that mean we're not praying, praying with the right intention or... Does he want to wait and then fulfill it? Yes. Now, see, prayers are not some backhanded way for us to become God. Isn't it? Just because we pray sincerely doesn't necessarily mean that all our desires will be fulfilled. Hmm. Now, yesterday there was this World Cup final. <laughs> So this happened long ago. Uh, my spiritual master Adhanath Mahaj was asked this question. There was some India-Pakistan match and there's one congregation devotee, his uh, child. It was normally, whenever he would come to the temple, he would be to meet Maharaj and uh, he was very cheerful, very devoted. This day, this was many years ago when the community was very small. It was maybe 88-89. So he seemed in a very bad mood on that day. Very silent, very withdrawn, almost sullen. Yes, what happened? So he said that, you know, the parent, the mother told, you know, yesterday was this India-Pakistan match, and, and maybe India-England, some match was there. And he prayed that India win. Mm -hmm. And India lost. So he says, uh, why did Krishna not fulfill my desire? <laughs> so Maharaj told him that, you know, there's just a child like you in that country praying just like you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Krishna fulfilled his desire. <laughs> so my point is that even if it's a now this is the material desire, you can say who wins a cricket match? Then you can talk about a spiritual desire also. But the material world is a limited place. And there'll always be some limitations in this world. So it's not necessary that even if we have a spiritual desire, it will always be fulfilled. Now Prabhupada certainly had the desire to build the Juhu temple. Prabhupada had the desire to complete translating the Bhagavatam. That's why even when in his last days, Prabhupada disappeared, we heard that how did Prabhupada was translating. So Prabhupada clearly wanted to do the Bhagavatam. But then uh, he ran out of time and he accepted that. When his final, when his, when he came to his near end, he did not say, Oh Krishna, please let me stay for a few years. Let me complete this Bhagavatam. When he was asked, does he have any desires? He said, Kuch ichha nahi. So although it is a spiritual desire, Prabhupada was not attached to that spiritual desire more than he was attached to doing Krishna's will. That, yes, I want to do this for you Krishna, but if that's not your plan for me, I accept it. So, our spiritual desire is also 
we ultimately our desire is to serve krishna and within that fundamental desire or foundational desire to serve krishna we can have particular desires and having those desires itself pleases krishna because it shows that we are taking initiative in serving him but if the desire is not fulfilled we accept that because we are not the controllers krishna is the controller as having that desire so we don't have to think that my intention was not pure enough or whatever we can just accept that krishna has some other plan for us and continue our service to krishna maybe some other desire some other time will be fulfilled okay thank you thank you hari krishna last question for you yeah hari krishna chetan chetan prabhu ji thank you very much for a nice exposition i have got a personal question uh some people are too much careful about cleaning and so much so that they don't get time to even do chanting so what is your advice for them please <laughs> chant while cleaning some <laughs> 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 time that is not possible <laughs> yeah it's because See, you are too tired too tired mm-hmm. and you are not able to sleep and if you can't sleep how you can't do chanting in the morning you can't get up in the morning yeah it's so we all have certain issues mm. for me i am a mm, i am a english punctuation fanatic it's like i remember one time there was some announcement in pune temple where i was staying and an announcement was put big font and there was a typo in that and i was sitting and chanting i just could not focus <laughs> it was like torture in my head you know the spelling is wrong and then i told the devotee can you remove that print out you know no it's wrong and he said nobody except you is thinking that it is wrong <laughs> So I was disturbed that it was wrong and then I was disturbed that he was not disturbed. <laughs> so I just went out of the temple hall and walked and chanted at that time I just couldn't look at it. <laughs> so we all have things that are intolerable for us. But what can we do? Bhakti means we have to learn some tolerance. So if we can't tolerate it, just move away from there. Mm-hmm. So um, I know one devotee. He says that he's a very good pujari uh, when he does dressing, but being a good pujari also makes him a very good or a bad critic of others' pujari work. So every time he says, "I take darshan," my mind is catalog- cataloging all that is wrong, wrong that is done in the dressing, and there it just. Darshan does not give me any joy because I see everything that is Krishna's peacock feather is not like this. This garland is off. This is like this. So I told him. So what is the solution? I asked him. He says, "I should dress every day." Well, <laughs> well that is not a solution. <laughs> he said that. And then I told him, "Bro, that maybe the best thing you can do is." if it for us is laughing matter but for us it was not it was a very big agitation so i told him prabhu if that's that's if it's causing this much agitation 
then better you get your home deities, you dress them every day, you take darshan of those deities. And be satisfied that you're doing this. He says, now since now I can dress my deities, and when I come to the temple, I take darshan, I don't feel so agitated. So somehow we have to create space for ourselves. So maybe we can decide that hmm, somebody who has this, you know, okay, instead of the whole house, this is my part of the house. This I'm going to keep clean according to my standards. And maybe that doesn't take so much time and energy. If everything we try to clean, it becomes difficult. Okay? Thank you. Gantraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki, Srila Prabhupada ki, Gaura Bhakta Vrinda ki, Itai Gaur Premanandi. But the problem is, this tab, its Type-C connector is not working. And because the Type-C connector is not working, so we are not able to connect this with it. This should be available. Prabhu, this is Shashi Prabhu, right? This is your. Shashi Prabhu had given me one. Yeah, he got it back.